Last week we kicked off a series called Monday to Sunday. And in our first sermon, we talked about the importance of being faith active in every single area of our lives. This, honestly, this series can literally set you free. I mean that. It can literally set you free as a believer in Jesus Christ. It can open up doors, open up a world that you never actually knew existed. Um, that, is not, that is not an understatement. And what we did last week, I'm going to kind of review a little bit because I need to build a foundation here. We talk about this whole idea of this full circle idea. And let me try to describe it to you and then I'm going to build on it so I won't spend so much time here. There's a, there's a concept in marketplace ministry, or for me, being faith active in everything we do, but in marketplace ministry of bringing your Sunday Sunday worship or Sunday faith to Monday morning. So you have Sunday to Monday, bringing your Sunday faith, bringing your faith to Monday morning. And that could be at work, that could be at school, that could be at your home. It's, just, it's, it's taking who we are with us wherever we go. And so you have that concept of Sunday to Monday, taking your faith to work on Monday or taking it to wherever you're going to be. But then you have another concept as, as a church, as we were going through this whole um, theology, if you will, the Sunday to Monday concept. And, and as we were going through the last 20 years, we realized something that we've really gone beyond just being faith active at work. But what, what would happen if we took the gifts, the talents, the abilities of the entire body of Christ, all the, all the gifts that God has given you in business or being a teacher or being an architect or being, an, uh, being in the arts, any area of the arts, and we actually applied those, okay, to Sunday morning. We applied those to the body of Christ. We applied those consistently to the kingdom of God, that we took everything that we are, everything that we have, every thought, and we apply that to the kingdom of God. So it's not just taking your faith to work on Monday morning, but it's taking everything you are, the gifts, talents, and abilities of the body of Christ and bringing them to bear, okay, on building the kingdom of God. So I'm going to build on that concept, that full circle concept, the idea that when you, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He, this is the temple. God dwells in you and you take him wherever you go. And you don't have to be a missionary, you don't have to be a pastor in order to live out God's purpose for your life. You do it at home, you do it at school, you do it at work, you do it on the field. You, you, you exist, we exist, I exist to worship God. Then we talked about Plato's um, secular sacred philosophy and how that has permeated the church. It has, per, it has permeated the minds of the people within the body of Christ here at Grace Chapel. This whole idea that Sunday morning is sacred. Going to a Bible study is sacred. But then going to work the next day, that's secular. That's your secular job. So Plato's, in, in, he basically invented this philosophy. And then it has, over time, come to permeate the church. 
And it's not a biblical worldview. And we talk about what is a what is the biblical worldview? In a biblical worldview, things are either sacred or they're what? Sinful. That's a biblical worldview. God's not confused in the secular realm with, oh, I wonder if this applies to me. As a Christian, everything applies to God. Every behavior, every feeling, every action, every thought, all of it applies to God. So a biblical, in a biblical worldview, things aren't sacred, okay, or secular. They're either sacred or sinful. Which, and I'm going to get into this, opens up a whole new world to us. We ended last week by saying, let's take a deeper dive into theology and the practice, if you will, of being faith active in every area of our lives. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at the theology. I want to lay a foundation for you because I don't want this to be opinion. If something's opinion, I'll, I'll say this is what I believe or this is my, my opinion. But I want to lay a foundation, a theological foundation for what I'm talking about here. Because this is a biblical worldview. So what I want to do is start at the beginning, laying out this theological foundation. In Genesis chapter 1, God, God literally sets an example by working six days, creating the universe, okay, and then he rests. So we all understand that. No confusion there whatsoever. But then you start reading it and you, and you find things, if you, when you start to look, you find things that are very, very interesting. All right? Very, very interesting. Before creation, before creation was even completed, work is mentioned as a part of God's plan for humanity. Work. Work is mentioned as part of God's plan for humanity. I'll back up one more moment. We said last week that in a Hebrew worldview, in a Hebrew text, there's a word called evad, avad. That word can mean either work or service or worship. It's interchangeable. And so what we end up having here is that work, when you work, you can literally be worshiping God. If you understand that your work is worship, you can worship God while you're at work. Everything you do at work, when you show integrity, when you work hard, when you go the extra mile, when you treat people with love and respect, all of that is not just a part of your work day, it's a part of worshiping God. When you're on the field you're play, or you're playing basketball... And you play by the rules, if you will. And you show good sportsmanship. And you work really hard, but you encourage those around you. You are literally worshiping God on the court. So back here in Genesis. Before creation is even completed, work is mentioned as a part of God's plan for humanity. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. It says this, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And wait, there was no man to work the ground. Before creation is even completed, God brings work into the equation as part of his plan. When it's finished, there's no man to work the ground yet, but there will be. 
But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, a few verses later in verse 15, this is what it says. Now it's completed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we have a plan of God, God in God's plan and God's ultimate purpose and plan for existence and for our lives. Work is a part of that plan. God gave Adam other jobs to do besides just tending the garden. In Genesis chapter one in verse 26, he has to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. After Eve is created... They were both to fill the earth and subdue it in in chapter 1 and verse 28. And Adam was told as part of his job, he was to name all the animals. And that's in chapter 2 and verse 19. So he has all these different things that he's tasked to do. His job. Think about it. Think about this. All these references, this is important. All of these references to work take place in the perfect world that God placed Adam and Eve into. So all this is to take place, it's all taking place in the perfect world before the fall that God placed Adam and Eve into. This is important. We said last week, work came before the fall. Work is not a punishment that came after. And we're going to get into the, the kind of the drudgery and why we have those things now. But work came before the fall. The fact that work came before the fall means to me, and I want you to walk through this with me, all right? The fact that work came before the fall means to me that we will also, this will also have an important part of our lives in the new heaven and the new earth when Jesus Christ returns. Jesus returns, okay, he redeems all things, he restores all things, and the Bible says that he, that there is a new heaven and new earth. That's extremely important. We don't think about these concepts sometimes. Now, I know a lot of people, even in the room, especially if you maybe come to church first, second time in your whole life, you think when you die, most people have this theology, when I die, I'm going to go and I'm going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp for eternity. Right? Um, I would say, please don't hold your breath on that one. Okay? I, for one, when I first like started going to church, the thought of sitting on a cloud forever playing anything or basically doing nothing did not sound like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm going to worship God by sitting around and doing nothing for eternity. I want you to process this through with me. God's plan before creation was even finished, okay, is that his purpose for man was to man, men and women was to work. Work is worship. Work, work was worship and still is worship if we do it to the glory of God. See, I believe we're, we're, we're all in this. We're all going to be basically pleasantly. We're going to be pleasantly surprised when Jesus Christ returns. I mean that. I think everyone's going to be pleasantly surprised because work will be a part of our lives in the new heaven and new earth, just as it was in the Garden of Eden when it was perfect. He's going to restore all things. So when we live, when we have the new heaven and new earth, work is going to be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. Work was a part of God's perfect plan for humanity. Part of the whole thing. I mean, I want, I'm going to back up a little bit. 
I want you to think through eternity. And I want you to think through God's plan for eternity. And you've got to ask yourself the question, how did God design people to worship Him? Well, in a whole host of ways. But one of the main ways was for them to use their gifts, talents, and abilities to bring glory to Him, to worship Him. Walking in the garden was an act of worship. Uh, naming the animals was an act of worship. Okay, All of that work was an act of worship. Why would we not then do what we were designed to do when Jesus returns and he just and he just and he builds a new heaven and a new earth? Now, like I said, work is a part of God's perfect plan for humanity. It was God's perfect plan. It was pleasurable. It was purposeful and it was never boring before the fall. Pleasurable, purposeful, never boring, and all of it was to bring glory to God, for God to be a part of your life, every single full circle, right? Full circle. Every part of your life, God was involved in. Something happened along the way, and we're going to talk about that. Why we don't think this way anymore. Why we separate it out. I want you to think about this also. Just, you know, just if you're, if you're in a different kind of job. If you were a salesman in a new heaven and a new earth... Um, you would never get rejected, right? Every time you went on a call, someone would buy. It would be really good. If you were a comedian, right, every one of your jokes would come off really well. Timing, shmiming, it wouldn't matter. Everybody think you're the funniest person in the world. Now, I'm that, I'm, that's my own interpretation, okay? So I made that up. But you think about what I'm, my point is, it was pleasurable, okay? It was purposeful. It wasn't boring. It, it brought you encouragement. Think of like your best day at work. Think of when you're able to use, when you know how you were designed and created, and, and then you're able to use those things in your life. How great you feel. Why do you think you feel that way? Because that's how you were designed. To be able to feel, honestly, to feel that way. Um, Nate is one of, one of my friends, and Nate loves to build furniture. And I can guarantee you, if you ask Nate, Nate, when, you're, when, the, when the, the last bit of sanding is done on something that you really were thinking through and you really put a lot of effort into and you've, you've polished it all up, when it's finished and it's sitting there, how do you feel? You don't think Jesus as a, you don't think Jesus as basically a carpenter? And I say stonemason too, and if you have any questions about that, ask me later. But it, because of the environment he was in, but it, whether he's a stonemason or, or, or a carpenter doesn't matter. You don't think Jesus Christ, when he was building things, when he was finished, didn't offer that up as something that glorified the Father. Using his own two hands and the feeling he got at completion. You're a gardener. You know what I'm talking about. When it starts to come up and you see that landscape, all the thing that you envisioned, the thing that you created in your mind and you planted, now there it is and the stones are over here. It's beautiful. That's the way it's going to be. It's going to be that way because that's the way God, God designed it to be. And not only are you going to feel that way, but in that you are worshiping God because he gave you those skills and now you're, wor- you're using them to worship him. When sin entered the picture, things, work became more difficult. Okay, so you have the fall and now work becomes more difficult. But sin didn't eliminate, sin didn't eliminate what God created. Sin only distorted it and sin only corrupted it. Didn't eliminate it, just distorted it, just stole it, just corrupted it. So we have to keep that in our, in our, in our mindset. Sin didn't eliminate work. It just introduced drudgery, if you will, to some areas of work. 
And in, in, in some ways, okay, sometimes people feel the futility of what they're doing. You know why they feel the futility? Because they don't understand this concept. Because you've been totally lied to and robbed of this concept all your life. You're thinking to yourself, man, when I'm 65 or I'm 70, finally I'll be able to I'll, I'll retire and then I can really worship and serve God. So for 65 years, Satan has you wrapped in a ball, okay, put in a box, and you can't wait to be finished with this secular part of your job so that you can start living the sacred part of your job. What a crock, unbiblical, godless philosophy that is. Godless philosophy, that is. Evil philosophy, that is. God desires work, okay, to be a blessing, okay, not a burden. That's his desire. Right now, God wants you to see work as a blessing, as an opportunity to, to, to serve him, to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people. And I'm talking about bringing your Sunday, your Sunday faith to Monday morning. It doesn't mean grabbing your Bible and going into your boss's office and start sharing. And he says, hey, you can't do that. that that's not what I'm talking about. But if your boss is having a hard day, walking in his office and saying to him, you know, I recognize how hard you work. I recognize how much effort you put into making this company great. I want to let you know, you, I'm by your side. I've got your, I got your back. I'll work as hard as I can to make your job easier. That's not a great witness. That's not bringing, that's not glorifying God in your work. I don't have to bring my Bible everywhere I go to glorify God in everything that I do. God is a God of redemption. And God is not just in the business, again, theological truth. God is not just in the business of redeeming people. He also wants to redeem everything else that was corrupted in the fall. Everything else. What does that include, Pastor? Everything else. One day when Jesus returns, we're going to, right now we're practicing, guys, we're practicing how we're going to spend the rest of eternity. Understand that. This is practice. This is not our home. Okay? We're only, we're passing through. This is practice. Start practicing. Start practicing. And when Jesus returns, he will redeem everything that was corrupted in the fall. God doesn't save you and I in order for us to be, leave us in misery. He didn't save us to leave us in, an, in, in a position of misery. He saves us in order to change our spiritual perspective. Most of us in our lives have a temporal perspective, the here and now, how I feel about this, and oh, my job, and all that, and you're stuck it in, and you don't feel it has any spiritual impact on anything, and has no significance, and it's meaningless. That's not true. Because that's a temporal perspective. An eternal perspective looks at it and says, full circle, everything I do has purpose. Everything I do, being a mom, no one would say a mom's not purposeful or a dad raising your children. No one would say that. Everything we do has purpose if we see it from an eternal perspective. As a Christian, you can experience joy in your job. As a Christian, you can, you can experience contentment in your career. You can. If you, if you see God as the CEO of all things and not your boss. You can honor your boss. You worship your God. And everything you do at work worships Him if you do it to His glory. Your work matters to God. But here's the thing. It is, your work matters to God. Let me say that again. again but here's the hard thing. 
It's hard for us to truly understand that and, and own that. And the reason being is because we've been lied to. We have been have heard false teaching most of our lives. Okay, we've heard the wrong worldview, it, even in even in, in many churches. And I'm not criticizing because it's just some people just don't know. They've been it's permeated the church so, so much that we just think American and we don't think biblical. And so it's permeated the church. And the reason you're confused and the reason you're frustrated and the reason you're kind of going, I think I'm grasping this, is because this is so biblically just honest and true. But we, have a, we struggle with it because we have been taught poorly for years and years and years. False teaching. So now I'm going to go into some, a little more theology, but I want you to track with me because you're going to say right away, well, that, does, that verse doesn't go along with what you're talking about. It does, and I'll explain. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, hear me, since the creation, since, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In a Hebrew worldview, okay, in, the, in a biblical worldview, God is present in his physical creation. God is present in his creation. And he wants us to interact with him. He wants us to experience him. He wants us to understand him through the material, the natural world. Okay, again, here's a separation. Track with me on worldviews here. God is saying, is there a spiritual? Yes. Do you have a soul? Yes. But I also want you to experience me, okay, in the material and the natural world. You have a material physical body, and so you will always have a material physical body. You will have a glorified body, but you have a body. Jesus has a physical body right now. Okay? So God says, I want you to experience me, not only in the spiritual, but also in the natural, in the material, natural world. Western culture, however, okay, is not based on a Hebrew worldview. It is based on the Greek philosophy of dualism, and that's what we kind of go by now, because it's permeated. Dualism. Greeks believed that there, basically, there are two worlds. Two worlds, the seen and the unseen, the spiritual and the, and the, and the natural. The, the visible world is, is uncertain. That's from their philosophy. It's, it's uncertain. And it, and it is. And a lot, yeah, it certainly is. It, it's, it's, it's unstable. It's, it's constantly, constantly changing. And only has the appearance, appearance because of that, it only has the appearance of reality. True reality comes in the spiritual. So you've got the natural and you've got the spiritual. This is constantly changing. It is unstable. This is not true reality. This is true reality. Okay? So walk me through this. All right? Dualism applied to people as well. All right, it starts to apply to a people as well. Our souls belong to the spiritual world and our bodies to the natural world. Separate them out again. Separate it out. Basically, to put it real simply, um, your physical body bad, your spiritual, your soul good. So your physical body bad, natural bad, not reality, your spiritual, your soul, that's good. That's dualism. There's a separation. From the philosophy of dualism... 
naturally flows this belief that work associated with man's spirit is the only work that has any meaning, that has any significance, that has any value. In other words, and I said this last week, I am a pastor, so I am in the spiritual realm, right? I'm up here. I'm in the sacred realm. (laughs) You pack of... Peanuts, right? But I don't know what you do. You go to Procter and Gamble. You have a bit. You work at the restaurant. I don't know what you do. But you're you're you go to your secular job, right? So here I am, and I I am the pastor. So I work in the sacred realm, and the rest of you bums work in the natural realm. And your work has no meaning, no purpose, no unless you're an artist. Or unless you do something aesthetic and spiritualist-ish. You know what I'm saying? That's a great word. That's a theological word. I just made it up, but you write that down. Spiritual-ish-ish. If you do that, then your life has meaning and purpose. But otherwise, there's dualism, secular, sacred. I'm here, you're here, too bad for you. If you design or manufacture any kind of widgets, your life, your job life is completely meaningless. I said this last week. Tell that to a mother or a father whose child was saved by a seatbelt or an airbag. That the person who came up with and designed the seatbelt, the newer seatbelts, or designed the airbag, or designed some side panels on a Volvo or some kind of car, right, that saved someone's life. Tell that parent that what that person does, that what that engineer did, or what that person did, a designer, or what that guy who did, who was in the, who was in putting the cars together, and, and really took effort and energy to make sure that he was doing it right. Tell the mom or the dad that what that person does is insignificant or meaningless in a biblical worldview a person who manufactures something to the glory of god okay is meaningful it's significant it's valuable it's important and it's an act of worship i can tell you honestly not every pastor who stands up and preaches um is spiritual Just because you have a title on your name doesn't make you spiritual. Doesn't mean what you're doing is sacred. In a biblical worldview, things are either sacred or they're sinful. And there's a lot of people in my line of work who do things that are sinful and they don't glorify God through their lives. And some of you have experienced that as well within the church. See... It's this belief that I talked about that created that separation. But you need to remember, and this is why I want to take the scale, let the scales fall off your eyes here. You need to remember, this philosophy of dualism, this secular sacred mindset, is, it, is, it is a philosophy designed and built out of the minds of men, not through the truth of God. It's a lie from the pit of hell that keeps you in bondage and miserable for a lot of your lives, feeling like a lot of what you do is completely meaningless when that is so, so untrue. Now I want to switch gears. Now I want to switch gears a little bit. We talked about, and I haven't gotten to all of it, okay, but I want, I want to switch gears. We talked about the theological foundation, okay, so hopefully I've convinced you biblically that what we're talking about here is true because it's completely true. Completely true. But now I want to talk about the practical implications. The what ifs, if you will. What if we live this out in our church? What if we actually live this out in every area of our lives? 
This whole, this whole Monday to Sunday concept, all this whole full circle concept that you, you bring your faith to work, but then you also bring your gifts, talents, and abilities to bear on the kingdom of God. And it's all just one circle. There is no break. God is all. I died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. It is all. I, this is a vessel that God uses. I, this is the temple that God dwells in. And wherever I go, he goes with me. Wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I think, God is a part of that. What if we actually live that out? What, what if we use... What if we use, think about, I want you to dream a little bit. What if we use the, the gifts, the talents, and the abilities, okay, of those within the body of Christ to address, to address some, of the, some of the challenges that we face as a church, right, in accomplishing the vision that God has for us as a church? What if we started using not just, hey, there's Sean, he's a pastor, let him do it. What if Sean started investing in your lives and setting you free? Let me tell you something. In this room, there are, there are CEOs, there are CFOs, there are financial people, there are engineers, there are uh, people who are experts in marketing, there are people experts in sales, there are people who are experts in, in product development, there are people who are experts in all these different areas, all these different areas of business, HR, right? Project management, whatever yours is, teachers, there are teachers in this room that are amazing, that transform people's lives. What if... Think about, think about what would happen if everyone said, wait a second, I've been getting ripped off here for the last 25, 30, 40, 50 years, believing one thing when I should be believing something else. And all of a sudden, the shackles fell off your arms, the shackles fell off your legs, your mind, okay, you renewed your mind, the scales fell off your eyes, and you said, wait a second, God created everything, Satan created nothing, he only steals and corrupts what God created, and what God called me to do, what God designed me to do, is sacred and i'm going to worship him with that start thinking about the implications of this people ready to invest their lives in a spirit driven cause ephesians 3:20 says that god can do immeasurably more than all i can ever ask or imagine according to his power wait a second according to his power that is at work within us the body of christ Wait, is it say, according to his power, that's at work within the pa- only the pastors and staff of the church? No, it does not. We are the body of Christ, each person uniquely designed and to be let loose on this world. Not on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesday nights, or when you go to a Bible study or something. He's saying, let it take what you learn from those places and just go for it. Use what I've given you to impact this world. And he says, now to, he says, he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all. Oh, God can do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine according to His power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ flowing through our veins. That's what He's talking about here. I didn't become a pastor so I can stand up in front of people and tell them nice, some nice things and be there when they don't feel good and um, be nice nicer than other people. I I became a pastor to speak truth. This is truth. 
This is truth and we have been ripped off. So let's take a moment. Let's take a moment and start asking the question, what if? Okay, I love that question. What if? What if the church was no longer limited by traditional funding methods? How do we do it? Oh, we do uh, car washes and we, we, we tithe and we have offerings. And we do all this. Thing. And they're right. They're all right. It's the foundation of what we should do. We should never stop tithing. We should never stop giving. It builds spiritual maturity in our lives to be able to sacrifice and give to the needs of others. Right? So tithing. But what if we were not limited by the traditional methods that we have right now of giving? What if a church of 200 in Northeast, Alaska, or even, even like in Europe where a church is dying, what if a church of 200 could have the impact on its culture of a church of 2,000, 3,000, 5,000? What, what, if that, what if that were possible? What if we could create economic zones around the world that would impact people's lives, creating jobs so that we could take care of those who can't take care of themselves, so we can help the least of these, so we can help orphans and widows? Wait a second, we've done that. We have a model in Nigeria, a self-sustaining model in Nigeria, that if we all all went away the dodo bird all at once, and this church no longer existed, they would still be going forward, because they don't need our money anymore to run the, the farm over there, and the things that we're doing from a business perspective. Widows have jobs, orphans are being taken care of, people can do, I said we're going to Nigeria, we're taking a trip to Nigeria, and what we're not going to do is build a church and feed the hungry. What we're going to do is create businesses, business trees as we call them, that will enable the people there to feed themselves, to feed their children, and to feed their neighbors, and to have the resources to build their own church. What if that were to take place? And how, wait, wait a second, how can that take place? How, how can that work? Oh, if you use your gifts, talents, and abilities to bring to bear on what we're talking about. What, listen, guys, what if we took that model and did it all over the world? Impossible, you say? Really? I can do it once, I can do it twice, I can do it three times, we can do it ten times, we can do it a hundred times. Because it isn't me. It isn't based on my gifts and my talents and my abilities. It's based on our gifts and our talents and our abilities. What if entrepreneurs and business people from our community saw the church as the first stop where they would go when they had business issues or problems to overcome? Oh, wait a second. That's what's happening in a lot of cases right now through Orca, the Orca co-working. People knock on my window at 7 o'clock in the morning. Business people in our community knock on my window and say, can I talk? And they don't want to talk about, they don't want to talk about religious things. And what they want to talk about? My business is failing. Can you help? I heard what you guys are doing. Can you help me out? What if the U.S. government of the United States, what if the government of the United States came to the church and said, hey, we're, we're struggling with how to take some people who are, who are poor or, or been on opioid addiction or coming out of prison or, or aging out of foster care. We need to create jobs for them. And we see that you have a model and you guys have been doing it. Can you train others to do that as well? Oh, wait, that happened. When the, when the Department of Health and Human Resources called the church and said, can I come out to Washington this year and do and help in that area? I mean, this isn't pipe dreaming. This is reality. And all I'm saying is, wait a second. 
God can do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And all I'm saying to you, all I'm saying to you is if we've done this, we, if we would just allow the scales to fall off our eyes, if we would stop believing a pack of lies and believe in a biblical worldview, what else are we capable of doing? What if we could revolutionize the idea of serving, the idea of giving, the idea of sharing the gospel and begin to dream without limitations. Let me explain what I mean by that, okay? And I'm praying that this comes to fruition and that Satan doesn't have his way and destroys the whole thing. Because we have everything in place. In Nigeria, Kano is way to the state, way to the north. I mentioned this. I can't remember what service I mentioned, so I'm just going to say it again. Last week. Kano is having a lot of trouble because they have hundreds of tanneries. Tanneries where they gut animals and they throw the, they get the, they get the hide and they use that, but then they throw the carcasses in the water supply. There are 10 million people in that state. Four million of them are profoundly affected because they have no clean drinking water. Their eyes are watering from the sulfur stink and smell and gas that is all over the place. People, imagine walking around like you live next to a pulp mill or you live next to something that has that sulfury nasty smell all the time and that's your water and it's getting worse and worse and worse. One of the scientists, Christian scientists, that are as a part of what we're doing, came up with a solution to that problem. We're working with the United Nations and the, and, the, and the Nigerian government to solve that problem. We have a solution to the problem. They're building a $30 million water treatment plant where hundreds of tanneries, all the water goes into the water treatment plant. And guess, who's, guess, what, and guess what technology they're using? A company that we started called Spectre Technologies. They're using that technology. Let me explain, let me explain this to you. Think about this. I'm talking about just dream with me for a second. I'm always saying, oh God, please let me walk across the water. Let me pass through the sea. Let me fight the lions. Let me take on the giants. Let me be, I want to be like Gideon. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be, let me, I don't want to just want to read it. I just don't want to read it. I want to live it. I want to live it out. And all of a sudden there's four million 10 million Muslims in the state, 4 million Muslims, 90% of the people in that state are Muslim. I can say, I can say, hey, who wants to be a missionary to Kano? I wouldn't do that. You know why? Because you wouldn't survive. I could send a pastor over to Canada to preach the gospel. You know why I'm not going to? Because they wouldn't survive. You know who would survive? Scientists, business people, are, are, people who are architects. Right? Engineers, because that's what they need. And if we go over there, if God allows us the privilege of going there and solving a problem for four million people, you have earned the right to be heard. And you put people in that place who are business people. But here's the thing. All I'm sending over, if we do this, I'm sending over Christians. Put any title you want on them. The architects, the scientists, the business people, the engineers, the pastor, the missionary, blah, 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 blah. They're all Christians. We could impact four million people. You know why? Because we didn't fall for the Thinking lie that that's secular world and this is sacred and we shouldn't engage in the secular world. Everything we've talked about, you think about this, everything we've talked about the last couple of weeks is unorthodox. But almost every story in the Bible is unorthodox. 
Mary, right? The virgin birth. I mean, go through. Gideon, right? Joshua, how, how did he... They took, the, they took Jericho. How did he take Jericho? They swarmed the walls with swords and spears. Marched around, boom, thing caved in. Every story we have in the Bible just about is unorthodox. You know why? Because we serve a creative, dynamic, unorthodox God who's saying, I created it all. I designed you. Either things are sacred or they're sinful. It's not sinful. For goodness sake, go for it. If you're not doing something sinful, it's mine. Go for it. We need as a church, as a body of Christ, to stop living out Plato's secular, sacred worldview and start living out a biblical worldview. Because in a biblical worldview, if it's not sinful, it's... Say it, come on now. If it's not sinful, it's... Thank you. That's a biblical worldview. God owns it all. Satan owns nothing. Satan only corrupts and steals what God has created. If that's true, then my, one of my last questions here as we close is if that is true, then why do we as followers of the Lord and Savior, the King of the universe, why do we turn over territory to the enemy without a fight? Why do we turn over schools to the enemy without a fight? I'm not saying go in and public displays of whatever. I'm saying, why, why are you not living this out in every area of your life? Why are we turning over territory and calling everything secular and the only place we can have any say in anything or stand up and say, this is what's right, how can we help? How do we impact our world is in this little teeny thing we call the church and we do it on Sundays for an hour and a half because Pastor Jeff preaches so long. Or else it would be only an hour. You know what I'm saying? No. It's time that we take back what belongs to God. God is calling us to be faith active in every single area of our lives. There's no area of your life where God is not a part of that. We need to stand and fight. We need to be a part of God's redemptive plan of taking back what has been corrupted, what has been stolen by the enemy. Because one day, that's what's going to happen anyway. We might as well get used to doing and practicing what's going to be a part of our eternal existence. Guys, I want every single one of you to pick up your sword. I want you to pick up your sword. You know what your sword is? Your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. And I want you to go and use that sword to fight, to build the kingdom of God, to further the cause of Jesus Christ, to help set free people who are in bondage, to help feed the hungry, to help make a difference in the lives of people who are suffering. That's why. To lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ and do what God has called us to do. When we see need, we have to fill the need. And we have to fill the need using unorthodox strategies, using everything that God has placed in our, in, in our toolbox. And my toolbox is full. Because if it's not sinful, it's what? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. God, I pray that you would be with every single person here and that you would wipe out years of just false teaching from their minds. Everyone here knows that everything I'm saying is true. You are all. When I died, my life was hidden in Christ. My, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. 
The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ flows through me. And then I act like I'm weak, that I should surrender? No, Lord, we won't surrender. We will fight to impact the lives of people who so desperately need you. We will fight to continue to worship you as the God of all of creation. And we want to be a part, even now, of your redemptive plan. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Lord God, we thank you in advance, in faith. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this church, in this community, through us, around the world. We give you the praise in advance and thanks in advance for what you're going to do because you can do immeasurably more than everything I just talked about. This is just the beginning. If we have the guts, if we have the courage, if we have the faith to live out your worldview in our lives. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.